Am I on now? Yeah. So we're going to be, um, Daniel's handed it, handed it out now. We're going to be on page four. We're going to start at the top. And basically, um, it's kind of starting in mid-paragraph. Does everybody have one? Anybody else need one? But just to give you um, a little bit of, just a very short context of how we're getting to page four, where we're starting out at the very top, he's been giving us um, teachings on what he called the way of life. And he started this document out and he said there are basically two ways for every human being to follow. One way leads to life, one way leads to death. You are going in one of those ways, no way around it. The way of life is the way that has basically summed up into two commands. The way of life is loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And when you are living that kind of life, it is, and especially, let me, let me, let me preface that by saying this, first of all, being born again and having a heart that desires to live that way. I'm not just talking about changing your behavior to be better in this world. I'm talking about you've heard the gospel. You've understood what it means to be a sinner and a rebel against God and understood that you've been following the way of death. And now you have trusted by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that He has made. And it has changed your heart because you believe in the gospel to want to follow Jesus. And again, that is His way. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And so those are the works that follow genuine faith. Alright? So this is basically where we're at. We've went through here and we've looked at the way of life. And the, the way that a disciple of Jesus Christ should be living. And so I want to basically remind you from last week that we've been looking at the inside of the church. And we've been looking at the behavior of all the people toward one another in the church. The first thing we started out with was our behavior toward teachers. And so we learned that we are to honor the one that speaks the word of the Lord to you because wherever the Lord's word is spoken, that's also where the Lord is. We learned that we were supposed to seek them out daily so that we can rest on their words and we can learn from them. We have learned that as far as our behavior toward one another, that we are called to actually um, help each other be peacemakers, right? <coughs> so for instance, if I said last week, Bobby and I have an issue. And how many of you know that if you're around anybody very, for, uh, uh, for any length of time, there are going to be issues, right? Any of y'all got family in here? Any of y'all ever grew up with brothers and sisters? Do y'all fight with your brothers and sisters back there? That's what I thought, yeah. And so, or any of you married in here? And if you spend enough time with that spouse, the more time you spend with them, the more their flaws you see, right? And eventually, there's going to be Fights back and forth, there's going to be offenses. Look at Bobby up here just shaking Jeanette's hand. But I mean, seriously, the, more, the closer you get to someone, 
It is impossible that offenses will not come. And so if that is the case, you are going to have to learn how to be peacemakers and not people that are divided. I'm just telling you right now, if you really think that you're sitting in a perfect church tonight, because I know people that come in here and they say, all the love, and don't get me wrong, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. This is a group that I really believe that they genuinely love each other. But can I tell you a little secret? The closer you get to each other, you are one day going to offend each other. And as a result of that, you better be learning now as Christians how to be peacemakers. And the Bible calls us to actually make sure that we're helping each other to stay at peace. And whenever there is a disagreement that we can't work out on our own, then we enlist the church to come and help us with it. And Jesus taught us that. If your brother sins against you, you go to him between you and him alone. If you have uh, pledged your case to him and he hears it and he repents and you're reconciled, you've gained your brother. But if he won't hear you, then we just give up and quit, right? We can't just quit talking to each other. That's right. There you go. He says go and get two or three trusted people of the church. Don't have to be the pastor and his wife or the, or the deacons. Two or three trusted members of the church that will judge righteously to sit and listen to your situation. To be an impartial uh, jury, if you will. And to sit there and try to help you reconcile and be peacemakers. And then finally, if that don't work, we just finally lead the brother in sin, right? No, then we bring it before the church. And hopefully by that point, hopefully by that point, there ought to be some level of understanding in this man's head that if the church comes to agreement on this and says this is the way that we see it, I ought to be able to humble myself and go, well, you know what? They're probably right. And so this is what we are called to do. And again, it's not something churches do today. It's something that most churches stay completely away from. And if you even start talking about that, people start leaving the church. Can I tell you I love you, but... I love you with all my heart. But at the end of the day, I really believe that there is a way that we have to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. And if we're not moving toward that direction, what are we doing? What, what, what are we trying to actually do? Let's go home and watch football on Sunday, guys. Because we're wasting our time. And so we have a behavior toward each other in the church, toward teachers, toward each other. Then there is a way to behave toward the poor in the church. And he basically taught us that don't be somebody that has your hands out to receive from God and then you have your hands in your pockets and hid away when it comes time to help somebody in the church that's in need. We should always understand and we should never say that anything we have is our own. Because how many of you know everything you got came from where? I hear somebody say, but I work so hard, preacher. You know where you get that strength from? You know where you got that job from? You know the only difference as to why you were born where you are to have the job you have versus being born in Guatemala living in a mud hut? The grace of God. That's the only difference. And so we are to understand that we are this beggar out with our hands saying, God, please bless me, please bless me, and 
He has a common grace that, that the Bible teaches us that He lets fall on the evil and the, the good alike. And He lets it fall on the, the just and the unjust. His rain falls on them the same. His sun shines on them the same. It don't mean just because you're good in life or it don't mean just because you're rich and have so many blessings in life that God must look at you and go, wow, they're so good. No, it could be just opposite. He said His rain falls on the good and the evil. Alike. There's a common grace that is common to mankind. And so because we're these people out here with our hands out asking God to bless us, we need to make sure that when we see somebody else with their hands out and they need help. Now the Bible gives us guidance on that, right? He does. We studied that early on. He said... If a man don't work, guess what? He don't eat. But now we have to be careful with that, don't we? Because we want to look at everybody and say that, don't we? So we have to judge our own heart and make sure it's not just selfishness. But I think if we have a heart that recognizes that we don't deserve anything we have, then it ought to give you the kind of heart that says, I want to find an absolute reason why I can't help them. If I can't find that... I'm going to give every reason to help them. But that's not the way we are. Instead, most time, all we need is one little bitty reason, right? Just give me one little bitty reason why I shouldn't help you, and I'm not helping you. It ought to be just the opposite of that. And that's what He's calling us to. That's what Jesus is calling us to in His Word as well. So we have a behavior toward the poor in our church. Then we ended last week with our behavior toward our own children. He told us, do not remove your hand from your son or your daughter, but rather teach them the fear of God from their youth. Same thing that Paul taught us in Ephesians chapter 6. He said, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but train them up in the way and in the love of of our father. And so we have to understand that We have a responsibility to make sure that we are teaching our children the fear of God. How are we going to do that? By teaching them a healthy fear of us. My son loves me. He's not not scared of me unless he's doing something wrong. If he's doing something wrong, he's scared of old daddy. Because he knows daddy's going to light that butt up. And so we have to understand that a healthy fear is a fear that understands I don't want to be separated from my dad. I need to always stay reconciled with my dad. Especially when we look at it with God because a healthy fear will always understand I can't run away from God. Right? Remember what David said? David said, where can I go to get away from you? Can I go... To, to the grave? Can I go up in the sky? Can I go in the mountains? Can I go in the caves? Is there anywhere I can go to get away from you? No. If that's true, then your best bet is to make sure that whenever you're not doing right, you're running to Him, right? Amen. Amen. You're running to Him. And that's a healthy fear of God. But make no mistake about it, you've got preachers running around here today telling you, the fear of God is not really fear. It's just reverence. It's just honor. Wrong. 
The fear of God is still fear. It is fear to understand that God has a wrath and a discipline that will come for my sin. And that healthy fear drives me to try to stay in right standing with Him. The same way that my son wants to stay in right standing with me. Because he knows what happens if he don't. Now, does my son ever doubt that I love him? No. No, he knows I love him. But he has a healthy fear of, uh, of, of my discipline. And that's a good thing. So that's what Jesus teaches us to do. Now tonight, I'll give you the first sentence of where it picks up on your paper. But he says this, Do not enjoin anything in your bitterness upon your bondman or maidservant who hope in the same God, lest ever they shall fear, lest ever they shall fear not God, who is over both, for he comes not to call according to the outward appearance, but to them whom the Spirit has prepared. Now let me explain what I'm talking about right there. So what you need to understand is that he's addressing the relationships in the church of authority. Now who wants to define authority for me tonight? What, is it, what do I mean when I say authority? Someone over you, right? And how many people in here like authority? We are born with a natural rebellion against authority. It begins as little babies. Whenever mom and daddy tell you no, if you got the two-year-old that's running around next to this socket right here, and you know that that's fixing to hurt them, and you look at that two-year-old and you say, No! What does that two-year-old want to do? We are born with a natural, with a natural um, spirit of rebellion to authority. I don't want nobody telling me what to do. I don't want anyone telling me that I'm wrong in something. I'm always right. I know what I'm doing, and you don't tell me what to do. Now, some are worse than others, but how many of you would understand that you have that in you to some degree? All right? But here's the problem. God designed this thing so that everyone is always under authority. You are never outside of authority. There is authority everywhere. I don't care where you go, I don't care who you are, I don't care if you own your own business, you are still under authority. Let me give you an example of it. It begins with, huh, IRS, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a great example, you're exactly right. So, but, let's begin at the very tip top, God the Father, right? And then you remember what Jesus told His disciples uh, in the Great Commission, He said, all authority has been what? Given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go unto all the world. So the whole basis of the great commission of Jesus sending you out is based on the authority that has been given to Him. And so Jesus says... All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Does that leave anything out? This is important. So there is authority that begins at the very top. 
It begins with God the Father, and then God the Son is under the authority of God the Father, but God the Father gives God the Son all authority in heaven and on earth. And then we have the Holy Spirit who is looking to please the Son and the Father and teaches them all things that the Son has taught them and brings it to their remembrance and and He convicts of sin and they are all working together and they are all equal, but there is still authority. And they respect that. You never hear in the Bible and you never read about the Son going, you know, I just don't really want to do what you say. No, just the opposite. Go back and read the Gospel of John and look at how many times Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only do what the Father wills for me to do. What He sent me here to do. I only speak what He speaks to me. You never hear this argument over authority because... They understand the purpose of it. They understand how it works together. And they all three work together as one God. And so whenever we we take it down even further, you remember what he told mankind when he made man in his image? He said, or what he said? He said, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion over all the creation. In other words, he says, I am going to set him as an authority figure over all of my creation. Then he makes the woman out of the rib and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. Why? Because this task is far too great for him to do on his own. So what is God going to do? I'm going to make him a helpmate. A helpmate to come along beside of him. Yet we still establish authority. And it is a loving servant authority. I'm not talking about that Adam was made to rule over Eve and make her do what he wanted. No, they worked together. They worked together, but make no mistake about it. Adam was the authority figure. Let me, let me prove it to you. You remember whenever um, they had sinned. Now, who actually sinned first? And then she gave it to the man, right? But when God came looking for them, did God say, Eve, where are you? What did He say? Adam, where are you? He called them all together, but the one He addressed was the one that was supposed to be in authority. And He had failed. And because He had failed, His whole family had fallen into sin. And so there has always been authority. And there is husband, there's wife authority, then there's mother and there's father that have authority over the parents. Think about what he said in Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, right? What does it mean to obey? It means there's authority, right? And then, go with me to Romans chapter 13, if you will. Somebody, um, or let me look at it real quick. Romans chapter 13.
Romans 13, beginning in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Huh. That's interesting. Thought we were supposed to be rebels. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from who? From God. And those that exist have been instituted by what? And you say, yeah, but what about these bad authorities? What about these ungodly authorities? You think Nebuchadnezzar wasn't instituted by God? You think Pharaoh wasn't put into place by God? The Bible actually says he raised Pharaoh up for his very purpose, that he might show his glory in him. And so you better believe that even the evil authorities are raised up. you got so many people that you, you want to step up today and you say, well, Joe Biden's not my president. Well, don't get me wrong. I understand why you want to say that. But can I tell you today, according to the Bible, that yes, He is? Can I tell you today that whether you like it or not, God put Him there? Now, this is usually the way that, that God judged His people too, right? Most of the time when He wanted to judge His people, He sent them into captivity under ungodly rulers. He sent them into places that wasn't anything godly about them. Maybe. That's what America is getting ready to go through. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that kind of prophet. But I will say to you, there is no authority except what God has put into place. There, so whether you're talking about the president or even in the military, there is authority and levels of authority. Whether you're talking about the police force, there's authority and there's a level of authority. Whether you're talking about the workplace, there is authority and levels of authority. Whether you're talking about the home, there is authority and levels of authority. Everybody is under authority, but ultimately it goes back to the one true authority, right? God Almighty. And if God is the one that puts authority into place, and we said, He said He was, right? He said there is no authority except what God has ordained and instituted, right? If that is true, then to deny that authority, is to actually deny who? Unless that authority is leading you to do something that is not of God, right? That's right. That's right. He couldn't do it. But he still honored him. He still honored. He said, long live the king. Go back and read it. Long live the king. Oh king, I hear what you're saying, but I can't do this. Because my ultimate authority says this is not the right way. And I can't do that. So as much as is possible with you, you obey and you honor authority. But your ultimate authority is God Almighty. And that works with any boss that you have. That even works for your, if you're a woman tonight, your husband. As much as is possible with you, you listen, you obey, you submit. But at the same time, if that husband would lead you in a, in a way that is not of God, then who do you ultimately listen to? You listen to God. That's right. But make no mistake about it, everybody is under authority. And ultimately, 
we are supposed to be whatever authority place you are, whether you're the head of your household, whether you're a mother that has authority over your children, no matter, no matter where your authority lies, you are created in the image of the ultimate authority and you are supposed to be holding your authority the same way that God the Father would hold that authority. That's the reason why Paul says to us, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but train them up in the love and the admonition of the Father. You see what I'm saying? And so you make sure that you are using your authority in such a way. This is how we're getting to what we're getting to tonight. He says, do not enjoin anything in your bitterness upon your bondman or your maidservant who hope in the same God. In other words, if you have people that work for you, you have servants under you, you need to understand that the way you are in authority over them is that you do it in the same way that God is in authority over you. And is God standing over you with a whip, treating you like a slave? No, He's not. He loves you, He's patient with you, He's long-suffering with you, but can you say that God does expect you to be a good steward of what He does for you, right? And so this is the same way that He's telling him. Don't, don't do anything that causes a bitterness of heart upon people that are under your authority. Why? Because they hope in the same God. Look at the top of your page again. And if you do it, look what happens. Lest ever they shall fear not God who is over both. In other words, if you are supposed to be a Christian and yet you treat your servants with bitterness, how are they going to view the one whom you represent? You see what I'm saying? And so as a Christian, we are called to make sure that if for whatever reason you have been put in a position of authority, no matter where it is in life, you make sure that you don't make those that are under you feel bitterness of heart um, in the way that you rule over them to the point that it causes them to have a bad reflection on the one you represent and the one that you actually are imaging forth in your authority. And so he says, Lest ever they shall fear not God who is over both. For God comes not to call according to the outward appearance. He don't care if you're a master or a slave. That will make no difference to him. If you are either one of those, it's because He put it that way. He made it that way. If, you, if you've been getting skipped over in your promotion at work and, 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 and it keeps going over you to somebody else, can I tell you something? That's the sovereignty of God. I'm sorry. For whatever reason, God has not saw fit for that common grace to fall on you. And you say, but I do so much better and I live for God so much more than this one that's getting the promotion. Do you remember what he said? He causes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust alike. He lets his uh, sun rise on the evil and the good. And so in whatever reason, in God's sovereignty, in God's ultimate providence over all things, what we see in this is that God is always putting the pieces exactly where He wants them to be for His purpose in this world. And at the end of the day, 
You get to be a recipient of His goodness, but you are not the center of His plan. I know we all like to think that we're the center of God's love. We like to read the Bible and think the Bible's all about us. God is all about me. Wrong. God loves you. And He loved you so much that He sent His only begotten Son to save you from your sin. But can I say to you that at the end of the day, God does everything for His own glory. I hear somebody tonight saying, well, that makes God conceited. Somebody give me the definition of conceited. What does it mean to be conceited? To think higher of yourself than you ought to think, right? When God demands worship and praise and glory, is God thinking higher of His self than He should? God is thinking right of His self, correct? God is not conceited, God is right. He is the highest. He is the most glorious. There is none like Him. And as a result of that, God has every right to create all things for His glory and His praise. And we are right to praise Him. And so we have to understand that God has created us. He loves us. But at the end of the day, God is not all about you. God does everything for His own glory, for His own purposes, and He puts every piece in place exactly the way that He wants it to go, exactly the way He sees fit. We look at the world today and we see chaos, right? Can I say to you, there is nothing out of place. Not a single thing. Not a sparrow has fallen from the sky apart from what? Apart from His will. There is nothing out of place in this world today. It is going exactly according to plan. And I, 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 I'm not going to go any further because I'm going to get you confused. All right, let's keep reading. And you bondmen shall be subject to your masters. So again, we're talking about the relationships of authority, right? Parents, children, this is the way your relationship goes. Masters, bondservants in the church, this is the way your relationship goes. Bondservants, now he says, be subject to your masters. As to a type of what? As to a type of God in modesty and fear. So here we're seeing bondservants. And this would be the same way that if you are... Um, it wasn't the same kind of relationship in biblical times, but if it applies to us today, and we know it does, it would fall more along the lines of wherever you work at and whoever your boss is. Your responsibility as is to honor them as to and obey them as to a type of God. Why? Because there is no authority except what? Except what God has put into place. And so as much as is possible with you, Paul told Timothy, honor the king. Honor the king. Where is that at? Timothy, go there. It may take me a minute to find it, but I think we need to see it. I think it's 1 Timothy chapter 2, but let me consult Google. I'm sorry. 
Go with yeah, we'll look at um, go to first Peter chapter two. It's also in First Timothy chapter uh, chapter two, but First Peter chapter two actually gives um, what I'm looking for. First Peter chapter two verse seventeen. Good gracious, we're out of time. How does that happen? We got through half a paragraph. Yeah, I guess you're right. First Timothy chapter 2, beginning of verse 17. Look what this says. Huh? Peter. Oh my goodness, yes, it is Peter. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17. My mind was not in where it should have been. <laughs> Alright, he says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and do what? Honor the emperor. Verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to who? <laughs> That's tough, right? But again, remember... You're doing it because in what, even if they're a Pharaoh or a Nebuchadnezzar, they are still an authority that God has put into place. And when you honor them as much as is possible with you, ultimately who you're honoring. And if you deny them and you don't honor that authority, then who are you ultimately dishonoring? God. And as a Christian, we are called to recognize this in our lives. And so he says to them, Bond servants, be subject to your masters as to a type of God in modesty and fear. You shall hate all hypocrisy and everything which is not pleasing to the Lord. So anything evil, this is just summing up the way of life. All right, This is a sum up of everything that we've done so far. So hate all hypocrisy or wickedness is what it could be translated as. And everything which is not pleasing to the Lord, do not in any way forsake the commandments of the Lord, but keep what you have received, neither adding thereunto, nor taking away therefrom. In the church you shall acknowledge your transgressions, and you shall not come near for, for your prayer with an evil conscience. So there again, he's just talking about, don't bring your gift to the altar, right? Unless... Your conscience is clear from evil sin in your life, from um, bad relationships with your brother. Before you come and try to offer something to God, make sure that you are doing what is pleasing to Him. Make sure that you are walking according to what He has asked you to walk. It don't mean He stops loving you if you don't, but it does mean that He requires you to repent, right? He requires you to confess your sins. And He tells us in 1 John, if we will confess our sins, He's what? Faithful to do what? Forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so this is the beauty of being in the fellowship of other believers is that we hold each other accountable, we help each other grow in the faith, and we make sure that we're all trying to help each other live lives that are honoring to God. And whether you're a parent, 
and you do it as being the kind of parent that God is to His children, and boy, we fail on that, don't we? But, again, we confess our sins, we teach our children that we are, we, we're coming back to God and that we're actually wanting to do what's right, um, or whether or not He has called you to be in an authority figure as a master or as a servant, or no matter where it is in life, we are to be people that recognize that God is sovereign over everything. And if you have a boss, even if he is unjust, our responsibility as Christians is to honor him. Unless he teaches and, and commands something that is contrary to what God would have us to do. And even then, like I said, go back and read the book of Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even then, they still honored him. Even then, they still honored him. They just said, O king... We can't do that. It's just that simple. And so, whether you are master or servant, your responsibility is to honor God by honoring the one that He has put over in authority to you. That's tough. But that's the reason why the, uh, the Bible tells us and the old songs that were written would say, there's just a few more days left to labor. Right? That's why Paul would get to the end of it and he would say, I fought the good what? Fight. In other words, running this race or, or, or doing this life as a Christian is like fighting a fight. It's like running a race. And how many of you know you got to train to fight, right? you got to train to run a race. you got to get into shape. It requires work. And then he says, I have kept the faith. That's something you got to keep. It's something that you, you continuously do. And the true saints, they will persevere all the way to the end, continuing to fight for Him and His ways and follow Him as much as possible. And even when you don't, you still come to Him before you pray and you confess your sins and you receive His forgiveness. And this is the life of the Christian that we do day after day. Any questions? Huh? That's a good half verse. I thought so myself. <clears throat> Kevin, I used to have a colonel, but we never went on a mission that he didn't stand up in front of us. Good guy, good guy to follow. He would say, soldier, he'd get you a paper. He could never forget where you came from and where you're going when you would come back. Amen. Made so much sense if you just thought about it. Amen. All right. I hope you learned something tonight. Um, I hope maybe when you go to work tomorrow, maybe you act a little different. I don't know. <clears throat> but um, whatever it takes, I just pray that you're learning to be a disciple. Don't forget that. That's the, I, I'm, I told you earlier this year that's going to be my focus on everything we do. We're going to figure out how do we actually be, become disciples of Jesus. I don't want to just come to church anymore. Do you? I mean, what's the point? So how do we actually look at what His Word says and how do we apply it to our life so that we are living a life fighting the good fight? And I can stand before Him one day and I can hear Him say, Well done, my good and faithful what? Servant. servant. You know what you got to do to be a servant? you got to serve. <laughs> you got to serve. And so I pray that you're learning to do that. Thank you all for your time and attention. If you've got any questions, come see me afterwards. I'll be glad to answer it for you.